0: Thank you. Well, thank you. It's so nice to join you today. Uh, We lived in Huntsville, Alabama, for 15 years, so it's nice to be back in a place where people recognize that Roll Tide and War Eagle's like a legitimate greeting, because we don't get that in Fort Myers. Uh, Thank you for this opportunity. We get to talk missions today. And everybody has a mission. And it kind of depends who you are and where you are in life. For instance, my daughter was a Girl Scout for many years, and annually she had a mission to sell Girl Girl Scout cookies. And so she, she knew that if she raised enough, she could help her troop earn that big trip or the big surprise or the big reward, and so we would... Hit the Kroger on Sunday morning or Saturday mornings, and we'd pull the wagon around our neighborhood filled with cookies. She was on mission. Now, my son, he is in the Navy, and he was telling me that part of uh, boot camp, they drilled a lesson into him on his mission on a ship. And first, it's take protect the ship, secondly, protect your shipmates, and third, protect yourself. That's a different kind of mission. Now, my husband has an entirely different mission, and maybe some of you can relate. But when we go on a road trip, he and we enter that GPS uh, coordinate, and there's that little time that says estimated arrival. My hung- husband is singularly on mission to beat <laughs> that number that comes up. We all have missions. And God has given us a mission. He has a mission, and he's given us one. So this morning, we'll look at what is this mission of God, uh, but I'm not going to answer it directly. I want to take us through three different thoughts throughout the morning before we get to come back to what is this mission of God. And I want to start here with our God is a missionary God. And um, in your, if you have the sermon notes, you have the passage if you're online, Genesis 3, 6 through 9. It says this When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? We see in this passage this moment when the tragedy of sin enters the world. And Adam and Eve have this realization of what has happened. And they're ashamed, and they're hiding in the garden, and God comes, and he seeks them out. See, our God is in the seeking business. Do you remember that moment in your life when you passed from death to life? When as an orphan, you became a child of the king. When you were hopeless and without direction, and you were filled with purpose and meaning and hope. I do. Mine was uh, July 11th, 1986, the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, at a Bible camp. And for the first time, this message that I had been hearing from my church of the salvation of Jesus Christ hit me in a new way. And I realized that God didn't just want us. He wanted us individually. He wanted me. He wanted to have a relationship with me. And I remember feeling so overwhelmed in that moment that God loved me so much that he wanted to be in relationship with me. He sought me out. Do you remember that moment in your life as part of my travels, I've had a lot of opportunities, and one of them is I have gotten to witness gotcha days uh, in working in an orphanage, in working in some orphanages overseas. Now, if you've been around any kind of adoptive families, you understand the significance of gotcha day. But gotcha day is this. For two, three years prior, there's this family, and they have this dream to adopt, and they wrestle through all of the feelings of, is this the right thing? And then they start filling out the mound of paperwork, and they do fingerprint checks and background checks and home studies. People come in and make sure their home's safe, and they raise a lot of money, and they have a lot of emotions, and, and they have to deal with U.S. embassies and overseas embassy, and then one day they get this call that it's time. You can go meet your child. And so in this case, they would step on the plane. They'd fly to the other side of the world. And they get into this room and they wait. Because they know that soon they will see this child that will be theirs. And the child will be brought in. And that child maybe doesn't know what's really going on. They know that they are going to get a family, but they don't understand what the parents know. The parents know that you are my child. You are taking our name. You have all the rights and honors and and privileges, and you are part of this family no matter what. And the child just knows I'm getting a family and will grow in the realization of what that means. And so I've I've had the privilege of being in the room where I see this moment where the parents and the child meet for the first time. And there's so much joy by the family and a little uncertainty and a little joy with the kid. But it's a significant day because these parents would tear down doors to get to this child. Do you remember your gotcha day? Do you remember the joy of your salvation and how that felt to you? See, the beautiful thing is that that same God that sought you out, that's what his joy and delight is. That is what he wants to do with everybody in the world. It's the reason that Jesus came to earth. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is in the seeking out business He cares about the whole world, and he wants to seek the lost and form relationship with them. See, our God is a missionary God. He has this heart that just oozes mission. And I'm so glad that we have this missionary God, but that he didn't leave us to figure this out on our own because we have a guide. And this missionary God was wonderful enough to give us a missionary book this bible is a missionary book see throughout the bible from genesis to revelations we see this beautiful mission story 66 books over 40 authors written over a span of 1000 years and yet it's not just this mishmash of stories but it has this thread from genesis to revelation that tells the story of god's mission in this world, we already looked at one passage in Genesis. Let's look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great na- nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, this is a promise made to Abram, who would become Abraham. Hey, I am sending you out. I am going to make you a great nation. You will be blessed. And guess what? It's not just going to be you. All nations on this earth will be blessed through you. And we start to see this promise of our, Messiah, our Savior, our Messiah coming. And so, this grand mission narrative in the Bible, we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and the creation of Israel. And as we move through the Bible, we see how God used Israel in their disobedience and even in their obedience and even in their disobedience to make his name great. We have prophets such as Isaiah that point us to this coming Messiah. Isaiah said, you would see one who's despised and rejected by man, who would take upon our sin and suffering. The Bible gives us these beautiful pictures, if you're a visual learner, of these beautiful pictures of what it means to be, a, to be redeemed. And so we get books like the book of Ruth, where we see Ruth, who is, has a kinsman redeemer, and then we get to the New Testament, and we get the story of our Messiah is born. The long-awaited Savior is here. This fully God, fully man, sinless being, Jesus, who walked among us and took upon the sins of the world on us and overcame death. He raised up his disciples, and then he ascends into heaven, And he leaves him with a call. He says, go. Go. And then we get the story of the church. And the church is born and the Holy Spirit comes, and there's persecution, and the church begins to scatter. But this is not a church just for the Jews. It's a church for the Gentiles as well. And then we get to Revelation 7, 9 which has this beautiful picture that we get to look forward to. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand. We get this beautiful picture of This promise that we would will be fulfilled that we saw back in Abraham. This whole the whole world will be blessed through you, Abraham. And one day, the new heaven and new earth, every nation, tribe, language, and tongue will be worshiping before our Savior. So we have this mission thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation, that reveals God's mission heart over and over. And it's the reason that Jesus sent, was sent to this earth. John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, so I send you. You see, because not only do we have a mission God who's given us this mission book, but he's called us to be a mission community, the church. God's given us two greats to aspire to and to live into as the church. He's given us the great commandment and the great commission. Great commandment, Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we have the great commission in Matthew 28, where he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And when we as a church live into these two greats, We are fulfilling our purpose as a church. Kai, I love that you said this is the only organization that's built for the non-members, because it's true. What a beautiful picture. To live into the great commandment and the great commission. I told you there were two greats. I'm going to add a third one in, and it's a great invitation. Because we have been invited by Jesus to join him on this mission in the world. See, We are the church, the called out ones. In the Greek, the, the word for church is ekklesia. Ek means um, out and called. Sorry, out. ek means out and klesia means called. We are the called out ones. I want to start using that instead of church. The called out ones. We are called out to love others, as we've been told in the Great Commandment. We've been called out to reach others. It's in the Great Commission. We're called out by Jesus to make and send disciples that love and live like Jesus. And this is for all followers of Jesus everywhere. See, it's the whole church for the whole gospel, with the whole gospel for the whole world. And God has given us a great invitation to join him in this work. And I said, church, he's doing amazing things. His, the way he's working today is the same God that worked 2,000 years ago. But sometimes I forget because I get tunnel vision. So I'm going to just tell you a few stories right now about how God is working today in this world and that the good news is still the good news around the globe. So I had the privilege of traveling to China to help train pastors of an underground church movement there. And these pastors... Built up and challenged my faith in a way that I have never had it challenged and built up before. You see, most of these pastors had been imprisoned for their faith um, at some point in time, and I was talking to one woman, Ping, who'd been imprisoned for her faith. And I said, "Ping, what was it like in prison?" And she said, "Well, first of all, my family had to pay the prison so that they would." give me food every night. And every night I had a moldy bowl of rice and one bottle of water. She said, and they didn't treat us well and said awful horrible things to us. But during the day, we would go to a factory and work making uh, Christmas tree lights. And then we'd come back to the prison in the evening. I said, oh, how was that? She said it was good because we got to speak to each other. And she said, I got to tell women about my Jesus and what he has done for me. And in the evenings, as women would start coming to faith, she would take that bottle of water and baptize the women who came to faith that day. I said, Ping, well, how did you get out of prison? Like, what did that look like? She said, well, I got out early. I said, why did you get out early? She said, well, God was done with me. So what do you mean God was done with you? She said, I baptized every woman in the prison and he needed me somewhere else. Man, God's doing a new thing in this world. I have a friend um, who, he, he's from Turkey, and he um, actually, he's a, he was a scholar of the Quran, a Muslim man who actually came to the U.S., to be a Muslim missionary to the US. And he was praying that God would reveal himself. And he got an answer from our God, the living God. And one night, Jesus came to him in a dream. And he woke up the next morning, and he said, I have to know more about this Jesus. So he had two next-door neighbor, a married couple that he knew went to church on Sunday morning and were Christians. That very next morning, he woke up and knocked on the door, and he said, Jesus came to me in a dream. Can you tell me what to do? I I so want to talk to that couple and just hear what they were thinking. They talked to him, and they took him in um, to the church, and he met the pastor, and he was discipled by an amazing group of people, and he got this call to go back to Turkey and tell people about his Jesus. And he was greatly persecuted, is greatly persecuted. But this guy, he's a modern-day Paul. He shares his faith, and Muslim men and women are coming to faith. A ton of people are coming to faith because this man was willing to step out because he understood this mission heart that God has, and he remembered that moment that Jesus saved him, and he couldn't help but say, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, you may be sitting there like, those are great stories, but they're kind of, I can't wrap my head around that, and what it means for me, living in Dothan, Alabama today. So let me tell you a few more stories. Another friend. She says, Rhonda, how do you change a family that's for 15 generations, as far back as we remember, been Hindu believers? How do you how do you change that? She said, Let me tell you how you change that story. She said, when I was two, my family came to the states from India, and my father spoke English, but my mother did not and there was a small southern church that decided they wanted to be on mission with Jesus, and they offered ESL classes, English as a second language. And so her father called the church up, and Miss Betty, the volunteer receptionist who was answering phones that morning, answered, and he said, we're Hindu, are we still allowed to come to ESL classes at your church? Miss Betty said, absolutely, come on. And he, he got a little bolder, and he said, well, my wife doesn't have a way to get there, and I can't get her there. She said, without hesitation, I'll come and pick your, your wife up. Then my friend says, and my dad got even bolder. <laughs> and he said, well, I have a two-year-old daughter, and we don't have anything to do with her during those classes. And Miss Betty, again, a volunteer answering the phones in the church, said, I'll watch her. I'll pick your wife up, I'll take her to ESL classes, I'll watch your daughter, and I'll take her home every week. And she did so faithfully. And she poured into this family, and they became friends, these two families, and they were in each other's home to eat and share meals and share stories and share life together. And then this family came to faith. How do you break 15 generations of Hindu belief in a family to show them Jesus? You answer a phone. You drive a car. You invite people in. Let me tell you one more story. Uh, Our churches uh, that I'm at now, we were just praying about how do we get involved? Like, where do you need us, Lord? And how do we get involved? And um, where we live, it's by school choice. So not like where you live is where you go to school. You put in, a, you, you choose which school you want to go to. So we went into the least requested school in our district. And there's a lot of hurt and a lot of needs there. Um, and all the stuff that we thought we c- were going to do, we couldn't do because of COVID but what we, we did do is we said, we're going to partner our small groups with teachers in the classroom. And we're going to love on the teachers. And let me tell you, God is opening doors I would have never imagined. Teachers are calling us and say, can you pray? Unchurched, non-churched, never-been-churched people are asking spiritual questions. A woman who was raised in a cult that said, I will never have anything to do with religion ever again has started coming to a life group. Jesus is powerful, and he's working, and he's changing lives today. What's the common denominator in these stories? We have a powerful God who has a mission heart, and people that understood their calling and said, I will do what you call me to do. So back to the beginning, I asked you a question. What is this mission of God? What's God's mission in the world? What's well, God's very heart and desire to redeem creation for his holy purpose? And he has invited us, the church, to join him on that mission. The question for you this morning is not, am I called to missions, because as Disciples of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be on missions. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. But the question is really, how are you called to mission? How will you join Jesus on his mission in this world? What will you do this week? What will you do this month? What will you do this year to step into this great invitation that he has offered? I promise you. When you start doing that, you will see things that you have never expected to see. And God will use you in ways that you never would have expected that he is able to. So how are you called to missions? Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us. Remind us afresh and anew, Lord, of how you work in this world. Lord, show us how you want us, each person in this room and watching online, each person, show us how you want us to be engaged in your mission. And Lord, I would even pray that you would give us a holy discontent, a feeling we couldn't shake until we step into that. Lord, we do this not for the sake to say, look what we've done, but we know that when we do that, your name is proclaimed, your purposes are accomplished, and men and women around this globe will come to know you as their Savior. Use us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.